0: Morning. Morning Morning as well to those of you watching online this morning on this first day of November. I'd like to begin my time this morning uh, with a word of prayer. Please join me as I pray. Our God and Father, we bring before you our country today seeking your help, your mercy, and your protection. Give us your wisdom to lead our lives in a way that honors you. Heal our divisions, unite our country, show us the way. You are our peace, our hope, our one desire. May your word direct us, your power protect us, and your love shape us into the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are this morning and continuing in our Rise and Fall series in the account, one of the most well-known accounts in, in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, but in the Bible, that is the Great Flood. And we're just going to spend one Sunday on it, but let me say, by way of context, there's actually four chapters in the book of Genesis devoted to this story, the Great Flood, Verses chapter 6 through 9. And there are many, part of the, the, what makes this a great story, um, and with a lot of interest and intrigue and, and even controversy, I guess, is there's many historical questions that are asked in this study, right? You know, the, 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 the nature of this ark, you know, the construction of this ark, the scope of this flood, how massive, how big was it? And of course, you know, the, uh, the animal kingdom, all questions about this uh, the rainbow, etc. Lots of questions in this story about the flood. But beyond them, I would suggest to you this morning, there are deeper truths about the heart of God and about his commitment to the people whom he has created, first four chapters, to bear his image in the world. So we're gonna look at this passage or at least try at some of these verses. You have a copy of the Bible, Genesis chapter six. I'm just gonna read a handful of verses in this first of four chapters in this Bible's look at the great flood. Verses five through 13 in a message titled The Great Flood, The Great Flood, verse five. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. The great flood. I would suggest to you that this is not a judgment story, but a rescue story. Not a judgment story, but a rescue story. Let me say a few things first about the context that we just read about this great story. Verse 11 says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. Okay, The the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. Now why is that? Well, these verses tell us, the ones that we just read, it says, the earth was corrupt. I'm reading, paraphrasing here, reading verse 12, for all the people on the earth had corrupted it, and the earth was violent, verse 13, because all the people of the earth were violent people, right? So the first thing that we need to see as we think about this story is, you know, sometimes we want to... immediately think about God and, you know, what is God up to? And is, is God this sort of killjoy? Is God this, you know, sort of, uh, you know, at rageful, hungry judge that wants to do something to the world, that wants to, you know, come down and, you know, and, and eliminate mankind or to punish them? That's not the case, okay? The earth was in the place that it's in, right? The other verses that we read. The wickedness of the human race had be- on the earth had become so bad that the inclination of the thoughts of the human heart, God knows the human heart, was evil once in a while. Right? All the time. Things had gotten so bad. Things were so corrupt, so violent because of the violence and the behavior and the corruption of mankind, of people like you and me. Interesting thing, you wouldn't see this in English, but the the first readers would see this. The word in verse 13 that says destroy. The, 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 The earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy them. That's the same word, if you're reading in Hebrew, as the word corrupt in verse 12. It's the exact same word translated two different ways. What's the point? I think he's trying to say, listen, what God has destroyed was virtually destroyed already, right? What God was about to do, right? I'm going to wipe out man from the earth, was virtually destroyed already by mankind himself. And keep this in mind, as I think, you know, the, it's not a judgment story, but a rescue story, right? God is in a manner of speaking is trying to save people from themselves, Save you from yourself. Save me from myself. And if you're a careful reader of the book of Genesis, we've already seen this story, right? Just a couple chapters earlier. Genesis chapter three, the end of Genesis chapter three. And God banished the man and the woman from the garden. Well, how dare he do that? What a killjoy. How unfair. Why did God banish the progenitors of the human race from the garden? I'll tell you why. Because when they turned their back on God, when they said, I'm gonna, I'd rather go out and find my own satisfaction in life, I don't need you, God. They looked at the tree, and, the, and, and it was pleasant for, to the eye. It was aesthetically beautiful. It, it, was, it was desirable to make one wise. I don't need God. I'm gonna go my own way. We all have that choice, Christian and non, every single day to live our lives the way we want to live them. But when they did that, something happened. And that something was not the curse of the ground, was not the curse of childbirth. That's not what happened. What happened before any of those words were spoken, we looked at this already, was the man and the woman feel all of a sudden felt this overwhelming sense of shame. They felt bad about who they were. They had to hide from God. There was a hole in their soul, in a manner of speaking, that the things of this world did not fill. And all of a sudden, they felt alienated from God. And even alienated from each other. And God said, listen, now that man has the knowledge of good and evil, that is an experiential knowledge of good and evil, he not only knows the disease, he has the disease. Well, I don't want man now to reach out and eat of the fruit, so to speak, that will give him everlasting life. Because I would never wish on my worst enemy not to mention my friend or my creation, that they would live perpetually for all time with a hole in their soul, with a sense of emptiness, with a sense of alienation and shame towards each other and toward me. The banishment from the garden is not a judgment story. It is a rescue story. And so is this one, right? People have said to me, maybe to you, over the years, you know, you know, why does God not do something, right? We could say this would be a great time to say it now, right, 2020. You know? Why does God not do something about the evil in the world, about the suffering in the world from the macro, right, it's going on in the, you know, across the world in many ways that, that we can read in the newspaper or in the micro? You know what Genesis 6 tells us, Genesis 7, chapter 8? He did do something about the evil in the world, right? That's what this story is about. But it was so costly, right? It was so sweeping. Listen, it was so painful to God. The Lord regretted he'd made the human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. God did something about it. He waited and and waited until there was virtually, they were gonna blow themselves up. They were on the verge. The inclination of the human heart was evil all the time. The earth was full of violence and full of corruption. It was about to completely implode. And God's heart, because he loves his creation, just like you love your children. You see your children you know, throwing their lives away in drugs or throwing their life away in anything. Doesn't that break your heart? A parent, of course it does. God's heart was deeply troubled. This was a rescue mission. But it was so, so costly. He said, we'll see this in a minute. Am I going to do something about the suffering of the world? I am, but I'm never, ever, ever. This is the covenant with Noah. I'll never do it again. Because it was so costly and so difficult. There's this organization called the Institute for Advanced Studies in Culture. Okay. It's based in Virginia. It's kind of a think tank. Institute for Advanced Studies and Culture. A bunch of, you know, smart people that thinks about big questions. And they just put out a 30-page paper. You can read it. It's called Demar- Democracy in Dark Times. So they went and did a, a survey of people. Democracy in, smart, in, in, in Dark Times in the year 2020. And they, there's, a, it, there's a number of charts in, the, in this uh, quick study. But one of them was on the, the um, perceived threats that people have, regular people just like you and me, in the culture that we lived in. And they had 19 perceived threats. Okay? On this list sort of in priority order And many of the things on there you would guess right? You might, maybe even, they even called you for this you know? What are the perceived threats that we have in our culture today? Well, crime and lawlessness was on there okay? The wealth gap was on there Immigration was on there Questions around immigration the, the, the distortion of media and the over-saturation of media Was on there as one of the perceived threats in our culture But the number one of the 19 perceived threats was the polarization and divisiveness in our society today. The polarization and divisiveness in our society. Apparently, we are at the point or past the point of learning anything from another person's point of view, right? We live in a world where you are either for me and my point of view, okay, or you are against me and my point of view. Listen, this polarization, this divisiveness is splitting churches. This polarization, this divisiveness, listen, it's breaking up families, right? Maybe some of ours. In this room. But let me say something to you guys. The problem is not politics, the problem is not race relations, the problem is the terror of our own hearts. That's the problem. I read this article of an interview. Um, in a magazine with the actress Nicole Kidman who, um, you know, she's kind of mid-career and they were talking about, you know, the old, you know, what does a woman do? I suppose this could be true for men, but it's true for women certainly, you know, you know in, a, in an industry that, you know, once you're past 40 or 50, you know, that was kind of the nature of this art article. She said this about that question. It's the strangest thing A lot of people, as they get older, get more protected, more terrified. My desire is to keep throwing myself into things, my parenting, my relationship, my work. I'll take the pain. I'll take the joy. Because the feeling makes me go, I'm in life. It's an enormous gift, this life. Our ability to love is so deep my love for my children and for my mother who's 80 years old and my desire not to lose her. I was at her house last weekend and she pulled out a CD of my father singing. It was like being stabbed in the gut. Her father's dead. My mother said, I can't listen to it. And I went on, I can, I have to. I get why you can't, mama, but I want to. Most people would turn it off, but I left it on. The great flood is not a judgment story, it's a rescue story, and it's God rescuing me and God rescuing you from the worst parts of yourselves. The earth was full of violence and corruption, and God said, we have to do something about it. Second thing, the great flood did not change our hearts but God's heart, listen carefully, the great flood. You say, why didn't God, why doesn't God just do something about the, 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 the suffering and the pain and the violence? And the Why doesn't he do something, right? He did something once. But it did not change our hearts. I'm talking about humanity. But it did change God's. Verse six. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. I don't know if you ever thought about this, that God has a heart, okay? God is not, you know, the force among us. God is not a static, you know, sort of, you know, intelligence out there in the sky. He has a heart, okay and the lord regretted regret is a, is an emotion of the heart and that he made human beings and his heart was deeply troubled listen before we witness the action that gets all the press in this story right the flood before we witness the action we're invited to see god's heart a number of times in this passage and what you see is not a, it's not it's not a god who is enraged It's a God who's saddened. It's not a God who's angry. It's a God who is deeply troubled. It's not a story about a God who judges from a distance, right? From up from his ivory tower. But one who shares in the pain of a wayward world that he loves. It's a story, now watch this, about a God who can change his mind who's actually considering to abandon what he's made he's having this real-time conversation no let me tell you something i regret that i've made mankind things have not worked out the way i hope for my children i had such better hopes they're not automatrons they're not robots that's not how god works we're made in the image of God. Go into the world and subdue. I've given you the raw materials. Now go do something with it, with your you know, four score and 10. What are you doing with your life? I want to encourage you. I want to educate you. I want to bless you. He blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Now what are you doing with it? I want to get, my, my best hopes are with you, son. My best hopes are with you, daughter. Okay? But God doesn't, God's not a puppeteer, Right? He's given you real authority, real autonomy, real responsibility. He's having a conversation with someone. He says, you know, my heart is breaking. I've regretted this. I'm having regrets because things have not worked out the way I thought. And my children are at each other's throats. Right? The earth is full of violence and corruption and it's barely holding together. This is a God who can change his mind, who's who's even considered abandoning what he made, but then he also, this is what I think the story's really about, he also can choose to rescue what he's just condemned. Chapter 8, verse 20 through 22. Giving you all the story in one morning, you can read it on your own. Then Noah, okay? Everything's said and done, the waters have receded. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, see so you Noah's know heart's in the right place, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Same thing Cain and Abel did, it's an offering of gratitude. Okay? For, what he, for the rescue The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma Now watch this And said in his heart Never, 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 never again Will I curse the ground because of humans I did it once Why doesn't God just act? What are you waiting for? To deal with the evil and the suffering He did do it But it was so comprehensive, so incredibly overwhelming, so incredibly painful. He said, I will never, ever, ever do that again. Now watch this. I will never curse the ground because of humans. Now watch this. Even though, it's almost a word for word reiteration of what was said in Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 that we just read. Every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures I have as I have done. I'm putting myself out there, he's saying. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Right? I'm never, ever going to do that. Again, the flood affected no change, right? In the general state, Uh, can you imagine all that work, right? The inclination of every heart is is evil all the time. We got to deal with this. I'm going to wipe out, that's the metaphor. I'm going to wipe out the entire population. And then when he gets done, he says, you know, whoever's left here, let's take these seven or eight people. Their hearts are exactly in the same position they were (laughs) before I ever did this. But God's heart changed. Their heart didn't, but it brought about an irreversible change in the heart of God, right? Not my words, I will never, ever, ever do that again. Well, there's only one way God can keep his promise and maintain his own integrity, And that's to find another way to judge the evil and inclination of human hearts, including mine and including yours. This is why the book of Revelation says the Lamb was slain from the creation of the world, Revelation 13, 8 right this wasn't just some bright idea that happened right <laughs> 2,000 years ago the lamb was slain from the creation of the world because God although his creation he regretted that his kids went down the wrong path that his kids decided I'm going to just do my own thing, that I don't care, I'm going to snub their nose and said, I'm going to do it my way and I'm angry and I'm bitter and I'm, and I'm frustrated and I didn't, you didn't give me what I wanted and I'm just going to go and blow my life and do what I want to do. He regretted that, but he said, I love them anyway and I'm going to find a way to save them and to rescue them the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. That's what we're going to celebrate in just a couple minutes. Okay, That's how old that story is, by the way. This is is the gospel according to Noah, right? And the more you understand the Bible, you're going to see it again and again and again and again. The whole Bible is a rescue mission where God is out to save you and save me not from the big bad ugly other person <laughs> not from you know the people in DC you know not from your mother or your father not from the coach right <laughs> from you and from me save us from ourselves but before we do this okay to to renew our understanding, to appreciate and have, a, have our own little Noah sacrifice party, you know, gratitude moment. One more thing. The Great Flood is about a person who takes God seriously and helps save the world. Okay, that's what this story is about. Now, you would have to read it on you. We're going to read some verses just quickly. But the whole chapter, Genesis chapter 9... Okay? That's why people, all this time is spent on the scope of the flood. And how the heck did they build that ark? And you know, what about the cockatoo? Or whatever, all these things or all these questions come up. They're completely beside the point. What is this story about? If you read Genesis chapter 9, it sounds incredibly like Genesis chapter 1. It's, you know, Adam and Eve take two. Okay? because God says listen we i did kind of have to score, start all over again but i'm 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 not giving up on mankind verse 7 of genesis 9 as for you okay he's talking about to noah as for you be fruitful and increase in number multiply in the earth and increase upon it same thing he said to adam then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Shem, Ham, Ham, and Japheth, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals and all that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on the earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will I will a life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Noah is the bearer of an alternate possibility. And it's a message first to these ladies and gentlemen who received the book of Genesis and to you and me that faithfulness is possible even in a world that is terrified by its own fears, that has turned its back on God, that is full of corruption and full of violence. God still looks down on the vast of humanity and says, you know, I can see him up there. Hey, who down there, who down there in this mess is, is willing to join us and doing something good, right? Who's down there? Noah is the bearer of an alternate possibility. And this story is about people, are you one of them? Am I one of them? Who take God seriously about saving the world. This is the first time, by the way, we just read it, in the Bible, Genesis 9, where the word covenant is used. Okay? That's what this is. Get to that in just a minute. You know what the word covenant means? It means agreement. It means understanding. It means promise. And see, what Jesus Christ has done with you and me is he's made an agreement. He's come to an understanding. (laughs) He's come to this understanding. He says, Peg, listen. Here's my understanding. Um... The inclination of the human heart, including yours, isn't what it needs to be. And if I had to be just and honest to myself, I'm gonna have to wipe you out along with everybody else. But I love you. And I'm gonna make a promise to you. Jesus was the lamb who was slain before or at, from, excuse me, the creation of the world. See, I've always had another plan. And this is a covenant And the covenant was made with Noah is a model for the one that is made with us. And this is what God says in that covenant, okay? Get ready for this, right? It's a promise to forgive you of your sin and to give you a new heart, Jeremiah 31. It's a promise to never leave you or forsake you even if you're in the most difficult and challenging place in your life, your marriage, your work, whatever the case may be. It's a promise to use you to help heal a violent and broken world and a promise to help you in conjunction with God to show the world a better way. Tim Keller, who wrote a book years ago about justice, said these words. The cross is God's work to relieve our pain. Our work is for justice in helping God with his. Isn't that great? Our work is justice in helping God with his. Because the heart that was changed, not mine and yours really, except in Jesus, is God's, who still looks down upon a troubled world, whose heart is still grieved because he loves this troubled world. And he says, are there any Noah's out there <laughs> who are willing to take me seriously and join me in making the world a better place? So three things I want you to think about as we take this, okay? Number one, God loves you and he loves you more than you can ever imagine. That's what this story is about, believe it or not. God loves you more than you can imagine. Number two, his heart breaks for the things in this world, even in your own family, more than your heart does, okay? His heart breaks for the, for the brokenness of this world more than your heart breaks, and he's inviting you and he's inviting me to join him in this world to do something about that, okay? That's what I want you to think about. You might say, God, what is it that you're inviting me to do? What is it you're inviting us to do? So here's how we're gonna do this, guys. You just, If you, if you take and just push down that tab, that's the first thing that'll make this much easier. And then you see there's two tabs and you can just pull the plastic off the top and then take this, in your hand this wafer in your hand and that's go to the scripture verse 1 Corinthians 11. on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the cup, or excuse me, took the bread and he broke it and he passed it, loaf of bread, to his disciples and he said, "This is or will be, this will is my body which will be broken for you." the lamb slain from the creation of the world let's eat together Supper was ended the Last Supper Jesus took the cup a Cup of wine Which was part of the meal The Seder Supper Some of you know that The Jewish Passover meal Right, That's what they were doing The lamb that was slain From the creation of the world This original experience The Last Supper Happened during a Passover meal which was like Christmas if you're a Jew, okay? They did it every year. It was, a, it was the, one of the major festivals. It happened like clockwork. And everybody came home from wherever they lived and, and they stayed with their families like we do at Christmas in a manner of speaking. And it was a time to focus on remembering that ancient story of the deliverance from the Exodus, which in their imagination, in their story, that was the big one. That was the story, that was their Christmas story, the exodus, when God said, listen, I know you're in trouble, I know you're in bondage, I know the world is full of violence and corruption, but I'm gonna rescue you. And this doesn't make a lot of sense, Moses, which Moses had a hard time believing this, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna gonna send some, I'm, I'm gonna bring some judgment down on the world, right? See, this story gets told over and over again. Genesis 3, Genesis 9. I'm going to come down with all these plagues because the world is full of violence and corruption. And I'm going to bring this down on the world. Not because I don't love these people, because they're on the verge of destroying themselves. But I'm going to take, I want you to just take the blood, if you don't know this story, some of you, most of you do, the blood from the sacrifice, okay? Take a a lamb, a young one, no blemish, you know, part of their culture and their, and their worship culture. And I want you to take the blood and I want you to put it on the doorpost of your house. And when you put it on the doorpost of your house, then when this flood of judgment comes down, okay, it's not going to touch you guys. Exodus 14, Say, The lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And this, what seems like a judgment story, is going to be a rescue story. Okay? and that's what Jesus did he passed this and he said at the t- were they rehearsing this story that I just told you and he says now this is the new covenant the new covenant just like he said to Noah and this one's in my blood I love you my heart breaks for the things of this world more than yours does and if you'll join me we can make a difference in this world In the cross, God relieved our pain. In the work of justice, we help relieve his. Amen? Let's drink together. take just half a minute and then i'm going to pray for us our god and father we come to you this morning in this in this place you know on this planet in this moment and we want to acknowledge your amazing grace your amazing love that even though we gave you every possible reason to wash your hands of the human race but even of me of, of us you said never ever 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 again will I do that I'll find a way and you gave us Jesus wasn't a play it wasn't a, a skit it was real and your son gave his life was sacrificed like a lamb in a manner of speaking so that we might know the forgiveness of sin, that we might know a new heart, that we might have birthed in us a love that can go into a world that is terrified of itself and show them a better way. We love you. We thank you. Help us, Lord. Show us the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Vielen